Good morning, everybody. It's really a beautiful day. It's nice to be here. So today, we're going to be covering the lesson of the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. So this is a story about a Canaanite woman who came to Jesus to ask for healing of her daughter. As you know, Jesus used this encounter to show an example of faith. In this account, account, the woman was seemingly ignored in what would also seem to be insulted by Jesus, at least as some have viewed this text. There are those who claim the story shows that Jesus was human and reacted to this this woman in a carnal attitude. And they use it to show that he was acting in a sinful manner. So before we read the account of this Gentile woman, I'd like to share with you part of an article that I came across that used this passage to claim that this woman had made no confession of faith, but rather that Jesus was the one who was changed. The article claims Jesus was challenged by the truth of, that this Canaanite woman spoke and that Jesus was given a larger vision of the commonwealth of God, implying that all people are equal and deserve to be treated as such by God. That Jesus saw and heard a fuller revelation of God in the voice and face of this Canaanite woman. The author claims that she taught Jesus that she and her daughter deserved more than crumbs. The author goes on, to say that this scripture, this object lesson of faith, he turned it into a social justice message, that it was a story of how God showed Jesus how unfair he was. There are many more twisted views of this passage, ranging from this extreme of Jesus being taught a lesson to a simple misrepresentation of the facts often to show that Jesus was just a man capable of sin. With this total disregard of the sovereignty and holiness of God and Jesus, the very Son of God, I can only be reminded of 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who teach such things will answer to God for their unbelief. They will stand in judgment in the very presence of Jesus himself, the very one they are denying. In Luke 9 we read, And there came a voice from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Or in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me. So with that in mind, let's read this account with a willingness to hear and understand the Word of God. If you would turn to Matthew 15, verse 21 through 28, we'll read the story of a humble Gentile woman who had faith in Jesus. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. 
My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And your daughter, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus often taught in parables or object lessons because they were actually both an effective and a memorable vehicle to convey divine truth. Jesus' parables contain great volumes of truth in very few words. They are rich in imagery, not easily forgotten. In an object lesson, Jesus takes advantage of a situation to teach an important point or lesson. Jesus explains in Matthew 13, 10 and 14. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak in parables? And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whosoever has to him more will be given, and he will be and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. The teachings of Jesus are meant for the spiritually called and not for those who reject God. He taught them in object lessons for the same reason he taught in parables. Some examples of this, of course, are the cursing of the fig tree, the feeding of the 5,000. This story of the Canaanite woman was an object lesson of faith and humility. As we read in verse 21, Jesus departed from there, which was Galilee, and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were Gentile cities. They were outside the Jewish territory. They were about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. From the story, we could perhaps conclude that Jesus had gone all this way to actually meet the needs of this one Gentile woman because no other accounts of Jesus' teaching or ministry were recorded from this area. Jesus' mission was to the Jew first, to the lost sheep of Israel, not to the Gentiles. He was sent by the Father to the Jews. That was his mission. Not until the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus was the gospel of salvation preached to both Jew and Gentile. We find Jesus and his disciples in a Gentile region, and this Canaanite woman comes and cries, Lord, son of David, have mercy 
My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. She came on behalf of her daughter. She was pleading with Jesus to heal her daughter and asked nothing for herself. She first addressed him as Lord, which could have been just a title of respect and not acknowledgement of his being. We don't really know how she would have heard about Jesus. Perhaps she had heard stories about the miracles that he had done in Israel and that some believed he was the son of God. We could assume that she might have been saved after this encounter because Jesus had gone all this way to help this one Gentile woman. God does nothing without a purpose. She then addressed him as son of David, which is a messianic title, claiming him to be the Messiah. This is a title that the Jews would understand, but it had no meaning to the Gentiles. We would have to ask how much she truly understood of who Jesus was. Because here, he had, because here had been no ministries to the Gentiles at that time. But as a Gentile, she most likely heard this term used or had heard the stories of Jesus and the miracles he performed in Israel. She may simply have addressed him as son of David because she heard others around him addressing him as, as such. But in verse 23, we read that he did not answer her, not a word. Normally, Jesus responded to those in need and those who were crying for help. But he didn't answer this time. In this response, he may have been saying to his disciples and to this woman, this is not my job. This is not part of my mission given from the Father at this time. This may seem cold, but God does work to, according to a timetable to his, of his sovereign plan. Then the disciples ask him to send her away, for she cries after us. The disciples were disturbed by her. She was starting to bother them. Most likely they took their cue from Jesus' response. They may not have actually been asking to just send her away because the same verb as used in Luke 2 verse 29 means dismissal with desire satisfied. The disciples may have been saying, give her what she wants so she'll go away and leave us alone. She's bothering us. Even after this, you would think this woman would just leave in despair. She didn't have anything going for her. She was a Gentile, a Canaanite. The Canaanites were enemies of the Israelites. Her gender was against her. This was a time when women were held in low esteem. And even the disciples were asking Jesus to send her away. But Jesus knew she would persist. Matthew 6, 8 says, For the Father knows what things we have need of before you ask him. He knew she wouldn't leave. He knew she would what she needed before she even asked. He knew, or he was not only giving the disciples a lesson, but giving us a living example of our place in Jesus and our need for him. <clears throat> then in verse 25, after being ignored and the disciples wanting her to go away, she came and worshipped him, 
saying, Lord, help me. She no longer was using a proper title of son of David or addressing him in a formal manner. But she came and worshipped Jesus and said, Lord, help me. Which can also mean save me. What's interesting is in the Greek, is that the Greek word for worship means to kiss, as to kiss the hand of a superior. This doesn't mean she literally came and kissed Jesus, but it implies an expression of affection and respectful sincerity. This woman wasn't coming to Jesus to ask for help by using titles and flattery. She wasn't following a formula or proper prayer to get results. She was asking for help by worshiping him. In doing so, in a sincere and spontaneous way. She asked for help. She did not demand help. She simply asked sincerely for help. There's an example that John Corson gives in his commentary. He says, when you kiss your spouse, hopefully you don't follow a 10-step program for better kissing. It needs to be spontaneous and expressive. Simple and sincere. The same is true for worship. Worship is not a procedure we follow. It's creative and spontaneous, simple and sincere. It is not demanding. In Second Samuel 6.12, we see an example of one who understood this principle. We're not going to read this story today, but the story is of David when he was told to bring the ark to the house of Oban. Obed, Edom, and how he danced and celebrated and worshiped God. His was a spontaneous and heartfelt praise for the Lord. The prayer of this Gentile woman is, he cried, Lord, help me. It's a prayer we could all use. It was a sincere and spontaneous cry from the heart. Charles Spurgeon said of this cry for help, I commend this prayer to you because it is such a handy prayer. You can use it when you are in a hurry. You can use it when you are in a fright. You can use it when you have not time to bow your knee. You can use it in the pulpit if you're going to preach. You can use it when you are opening your shop. You can use it when you are rising in the morning. It is such a handy prayer that I hardly know any position in which you could not pray it. Lord, help me. After this woman's cry for help and her worship of Jesus, we notice that Jesus answered. Perhaps this is a lesson for us. When we come before God with a request using a formula or in a demanding attitude, we seem to get nothing because we are not asking from the right, in a right spiritual attitude and heart or maybe out of a true belief that he is able to provide what we ask. Perhaps we are not coming before him in a humble attitude, acknowledging who he is and who we are. As we read in verse 26, But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Here he is speaking allegorically. It may seem as as some have claimed that he was insulting her by calling her a dog. 
But this is not the term dog that is typically used by the Jews to refer to the Gentiles. The Jews used the term dogs for Gentiles in a very derogatory sense. Because the Canaanites were enemies of Jews, they showed no respect toward them. <clears throat> when Jesus used this term, when they used the term bread here, he was referring to himself as the bread of life. This example of taking the children's portion of giving it to the little dog shows the order of things in God's plan. Here the children represent the Jews, while the little dogs represent the Gentiles. During Jesus' ministry on earth, it was not right to take the message of salvation offered to the Jews and give it to the Gentile people. It was after the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit was given, when God sent Paul to the Gentiles, then the church was born of both Jew and Gentile. But at this time, Jesus' ministry was focused on the lost sheep of Israel. The article I spoke of earlier also accused Christians of trying to lessen the severity of the seeming insult, trying to show somehow or somehow soften it by referring to her as a little dog. This author apparently does not understand the Greek word used in this passage, but used it as the term dogs that is elsewhere in the scripture referred to the Gentiles. But in this verse, the Greek word used actually means a little dog, as in a puppy. It is not used anywhere else in scripture. Jesus was not insulting this woman in this passage. Using the term little dogs is more of a way of describing the tone of Jesus' voice. We're not always able to tell or hear the tone in what we read, but we often can assume the tone by the words that are used. He was not critical or harsh. He was not insulting this woman, but showing her the place she had in the order of God's plan. And she answered him and said, True, Lord, but the dog gets the crumbs that fall from the master's table. In saying true, Lord, she was agreeing with his statements of her place in God's plan. And she was, or who she was, by calling him master, she recognized his authority. What she was saying is that she understood that Jesus was working according to a certain priority. He came to the people of Israel. His main purpose was to them and not to her, a Gentile. But she was also saying that she was willing to take the leftovers from the table that the Israelites did not want. She was not asking for the portion given to the Jews. She was not asking to be considered equal to the Jews. She was not asking for the promises, what was promised to the Jews. He was not even asking for the child's portion, but only the portion that would have been given to the dogs. She was simply asking for whatever he was willing to give her. When we come before God in prayer, are we asking for that which was, that is in his will for us? Are we asking or demanding to receive the portion that was, not a lo that was allotted to someone else. You'll also notice this woman took upon herself the need of someone else. She did not come asking anything for herself. 
She came before Jesus in an attitude of respect, of humility, an attitude of sincerity, a genuine concern for someone else. Her request for healing was for her daughter, and she asked nothing of Jesus for herself. She worshipped him, acknowledged his authority, and her place in the will of God. Her request for healing was for her daughter, and she asked nothing for herself. By her answer in verse 27, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs. She was accepting Jesus' description of her. She accepted who she was. She acknowledged that she was a sinner, a Gentile, and asked for mercy despite it. Jesus answered her in verse 28 saying, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. In answering her, he referred to her as woman. At first you would think he was just referring to her as a woman, but in the Greek word here is gone. It is actually a term of respect. Most likely he's giving her a compliment. This is the same word he used in referring to his own mother elsewhere in Scripture. Of course he was respectful to his mother. So here it would show he was giving a respectful response to this Gentile woman. There were only two Gentiles in the Bible that were ever acknowledged by Jesus as having great faith. Jesus acknowledged the faith of the Roman centurion who asked him to heal his servant. But Jesus directed his comment of of this faith to the crowd, not directly to the centurion. Also in both encounters, the request was for someone else. In this story, Jesus directed his acknowledgement directly to this woman. This woman did not come to Jesus with a sense of entitlement. She was not claiming equality. At one time or another, we have all suffered from some degree an attitude of entitlement. The entitlement mentality is often on display in the work environment. I know in my last place of employment, it was certainly that way. With an entitlement comes discontent, grumbling and complaining. There's a prevailing attitude or idea that the employer or the company owes me because I have worked here for X number of years. There's a thinking that the promotion someone else got should have been mine or I deserve a raise. I have seniority here. That job or my that position should have been mine. There's a general attitude and feeling of being cheated and getting less than what is owed me or getting more responsibility or work than someone else has been given. And the list will continue on and on. When one has this type of attitude in any area of life, it doesn't take much to start thinking this way toward God. We think that somehow God owes us because of what we have done or because he's blessed someone else. The 10th commandment states, you shall not covet. Coveting is wanting for yourself what has been given to someone else. Wanting something that does not belong to you. When we do this, we sin against that person. But far worse, we sin against God. When we covet What belongs to someone else, we are saying to God, 
you're not fair. We feel he has given to someone else what he should have been given, what should have been given to us. What we are saying is that in his providence, he has robbed us of what we justly deserve. Envy and jealousy can be very destructive to our relationship with God and others. There was no sense of entitlement in this Gentile woman at all. She came to Jesus with nothing, no merit, no demands, nothing to boast of. Her plea was, even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. I know I don't deserve it, but I'm asking anyway. When she asked and he didn't answer, she didn't get mad and leave. When he told her it wasn't on his agenda for the day, she didn't get upset and offended. When Jesus likened her to the family pet, she said, yes, Lord. <clears throat> she trusted Jesus, Jesus even when he didn't answer her. She trusted him even when he didn't include her. She trusted him even when he didn't exalt her. But she showed a great faith regardless. While this story, while this is a story of someone having great faith in Jesus, it should also be an example of what it means to be a Christian. We are all tempted from time to time to think that God owes us a little more than what he has given. Or we think that what he has given, somehow we deserved it or we have earned it. <clears throat> We have no merit. God owes us nothing. We are deserving of God's justice, which is death. It is only by His mercy and grace that we will, be, we will escape His wrath. <clears throat> we should always come to God in an attitude of sincerity and humility. Yes, we can come boldly, but never arrogantly. We come boldly because we are allowed to. We only have the right because we are the adopted children and only through the mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ can we stand before him. We come boldly, not arrogantly or with an attitude of entitlement. We do not have the right to demand anything from God. <clears throat> we may ask the petitions of our hearts. And that which is in his will, he will give freely. But I ask, what are the petitions of our hearts? And the scripture talks about our hearts and mind it is not just what we think, but what we truly believe. The heart represents the very character. As Christians, followers of Jesus, the petitions of our hearts should be of spiritual things the things that our lives should be focused on, not worldly things, not material things, but the spiritual. When we are asking within God's will, we are asking for those things that have spiritual benefits, not of the carnal nature or certainly not out of a coveting heart. James 4.3 You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Matthew 6.21 
where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And Matthew 21, 22 says, in all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. From these verses we can learn that when we ask within God's will, He will give our heart's desires freely and abundantly. We should always leave our requests before God with an attitude that Jesus had in His greatest hour of need. Not my will, but Your will be done. When our hearts and requests are on spiritual things, He will give it to us freely. In John 5.15 If we know that He hears us whatsoever we ask, we know we will have the petitions that we desire of Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for giving us this time to worship and praise You. We ask for You continued guidance and blessings on our time spent learning of You and studying of Your Scripture. Thank You for opening our eyes and giving us this understanding of the spiritual lessons that Jesus taught. I ask that you go with each and every one of us as we leave here today and give us the desire and the ability to share the word with others, to share the gospel with others. Give us the strength to stand for truth and to keep our minds focused on you. Thank you. And I ask that you would be the center of our daily life and all that we do. Amen.